Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by my frequent co-host on this program. He is the great beat reporter from NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media, Mr. Daryl Slater. Daryl, it is finally beautiful weather outside. I was starting to get really depressed with all of that rain. It was pretty rough, wasn't it? A couple days of... uh couple days of pretty miserable weather but uh yeah so jets ota start in a week from yesterday so as we're talking here on wednesday um so hopefully they'll have some nice weather for the guys to get out there and run around in the field and practice a little bit yeah and one of the guys that'll be there is Le'Veon bell no big surprise to reports over the weekend that Le'Veon bell will report to mandatory otas as if that's some sort of news story because he skipped the voluntary OTAs like most of these big-time stars do. You guys had a poll up at NJ.com about this, and I was surprised at how many people were actually bothered by Le'Veon Bell not showing up to voluntary OTAs, despite the fact that, like I said, most of these guys don't that are on his level. Tell me a little bit about why you think people are nervous about this when I think they shouldn't be and you think they shouldn't be because you actually wrote a piece about this at NJ.com involving both Le'Veon Bell and Odell Beckham. Yeah, so basically in, you know, an entire offseason program for an NFL team is all voluntary. The Jets start their OTAs practices next, which are the OTAs are just like the first practices. The rest of it's like weightlifting. Um and they start their, and then they had the voluntary mini camp, of course, at the end of April. But they start their OTAs next Tuesday. The Browns and Odell Beckham, where they started them yesterday. So, um, and then, like you said, the mandatory mini camp three days in June is the only mandatory portion. And we don't know if Bell is actually going to be at the OTAs starting next week. We know he's going to be at the mandatory mini camp, which, of course, why why, why wouldn't he? he? Doesn't want to get fined. Um, but we'll see about next Tuesday if he if he is or is not there. Really, like I said, it doesn't really make much of a difference. I wrote a whole thing about it today. Yeah, we put the poll up to you know it's something that people are talking about. Um, and I I don't know. It's interesting because there's so many people are like who have like an I don't care. It doesn't matter approach about it. Maybe if they don't care, they're not going to go and vote in the poll. So it's kind of skewed. If you're more passionate about the issue, you're more likely to go vote in this poll. And I would guess most of the yes people that it bothers them uh, would be more passionate than the no people, if that makes sense. Like, if, it, if, it, if you don't care at all that he's skipping, then you probably don't care to go vote in the, in the, in the poll. So I think it was 56% to, to 43%. The no is one in terms of people not being bothered by um, him, him skipping. And it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I broke down a few reasons for it, you know, because Beckham was there yesterday with the Browns. He's not there today. Um, I guess today is the day where it's open to reporters. Who knows? But uh, I understand, like, people looking at it from a from a perception point of view and saying, like, you know, Le'Veon Bell's new and he should be there and most of the other guys do go. Yeah, he's new and most of the other guys do go. But, you know, for a number of reasons, it's not really worth getting worked up over whether – whether Beckham's there, Bell's there, they're you know, we're talking about proven veterans, um, and these guys can get pretty good workouts on their own in terms of the technological advancements that personal trainers have. Um, and you know, I understand why you know it gets a lot of attention when a guy does or doesn't show up. So it's noteworthy, but it's also worth noting that yeah, it's, these are voluntary workouts. Uh, a guy can get a good workout on his own. Coaches will regularly downplay the importance of, of these practices. When you ask them, like, how did a guy look? Oh, it's shorts and T-shirts. Okay, well, so which is it? Does it do they matter or not? Now, I think a coach would say the meetings that occur during these times are, are really important in terms of the installation stuff, but they will also recognize that a guy has a remote access to his playbook and installation stuff via an iPad. So um, – there's plenty of time in camp for these guys to get caught up on installation, on practices, and there's you know no sense in a proven veteran who knows his way around uh, 
you know, we're not, not talking about young players here. That's that would be different. If Quinn Williams didn't show up for these, that would be weird. But um, but there's you know no sense in a, in, a, in a proven veteran wearing himself out if he if, if he doesn't feel like he knows and he knows his body if, if he doesn't feel like that's the appropriate thing to do to show up. Look, look, Le'Veon Bell's either going to be good or he's not going to be good with the Jets, and, and whether he showed up for these spring practices has nothing to do with that. Le'Veon Bell will be at the mandatory OTAs. He wasn't at the voluntary OTAs because, quite frankly, he doesn't have to be, especially when he's a player at that level. A guy who is not on that level, and so he will be at every single thing they ask him to be, is Greg Dortch, the undrafted rookie wide receiver out of Wake Forest. Daryl, you had a really interesting piece about him explaining how he could possibly be the next Robbie Anderson, but not necessarily in the way that somebody might think. Yeah, so it's like sort of he could be the next Robbie Anderson. I mean, they play the same position, and they were both undrafted. If you remember 2016, the Jets got Robbie Anderson, signed him as an undrafted guy, and they gave him a $10,000 signing bonus, which is a good amount of money for a uh, for for an undrafted guy. I mean, that's, that's a decent, decent sum. So generally when the guys who get the most money guaranteed as undrafted players are the guys the team thinks the most highly of and potentially the guys who have the likeliest chance of going on to be pretty good. Um, so Greg Dortch got 57,500 guaranteed from the Jets um, in, in this group of undrafted players, $7,500 signing bonus and 50,000 of his base salary guaranteed. Now that doesn't mean he's definitely going to make the team. I mean, that's all, that's a small amount for a team to, if he stinks to like eat and just let him walk uh, and cut him in training camp. But you're talking about a guy who they, they think highly of because they did give him a lot of money in terms of the guarantees money compared to what the other guys got in this undrafted free agent group. And uh, yeah, so he's not entirely like Robbie Anderson because he's small. He's like five, seven. He's not a long, lanky, tall, deep threat receiver. In fact, he's, he's really quite the opposite. He's a small, short, short. That is not entirely comparable, but uh, maybe this is a another success story in terms of an undrafted receiver for the Jets because uh, there's one of Dorch's strengths, which is a, as a returner, is an area of need for the Jets. They they need a returner. It's one of their more. It's probably their most wide open position competition. I, I would say heading into spring and, and training camp. So um, he was a guy who who did some encouraging return things at Wake Forest. And uh, let's see, you know how he handles himself getting thrown into that mix this year. I'm not. I'm presuming they're going to give him a chance to do that um, because he was a really good punt returner last year. And uh, so he's got a chance to stick because, you know, he's seemingly a pretty decent player and uh, he, he has a skill that Jets need. No question about it, Daryl. He's got a skill set that the Jets need, and so do the Williams boys, Leonard Williams and Quinnen Williams, and that skill is pressuring the quarterback. Some encouraging news from PFF this week. Now, I will preface this by saying that I like to pick on PFF, and the general rule with them for me is if they say something positive about the team that I root for, then I tout it. If they say something negative, then I write it off as PFF being a bunch of dorks. <laughs> so that's going to be what I'm going to say with this. Some very encouraging information released from PFF this week involving both Quinn and Williams and Leonard Williams. Well, I think one thing that they do a good job of is their data gathering with things that you know don't require like judgment calls. Like when you're talking about coverage grades or offensive line grades, you kind of have to know what a guy's responsibility was in terms of. Um, maybe fully and accurately grading his performance, if that makes sense. But when you talk about like directional throwing and all that, all those like specific measurable stats, uh, I think PFF is good with that data gathering, data gathering stuff. And one thing that they mentioned was Quentin Williams was I, the top defensive lineman in, in the NCAA last year in, in, in pressures in terms of, I guess they hits, hurries and sacks together. Uh, and Leonard Williams was what number six or something like that in the NFL. So, uh, yes, Leonard Williams has not been able to cash in some of these sack opportunities. And I think, you know, the Jets hope is that, uh, he'll be able to do that now more with, uh, Quinn and Williams helping kind of free him up from double teams. But the two of them together, long story short, is that they should be able to pressure the quarterback a lot. If they keep doing what they're doing, if Quinn and Williams translates his skills to the NFL, if he helps free up Leonard Williams some more, if Leonard Williams keeps doing in, to some degree, what he's been doing in terms of pressuring the quarterback, then you're looking at two guys who could really push the pocket from the middle. And the Jets have said really over and over, and we haven't really talked since Adam Gase spoke last Friday, 
that was his first time speaking about the Jets' rookies uh, and draft picks, that he really likes the ability that Quentin Williams has to push the targets in the middle. He thinks that'll be important in, in this division. And if you think about how teams have been able to impact Tom Brady, defenses have been able to affect them. Uh, pushing the pocket from the middle is certainly one way. So um, that's the Jets' hope, that they can get a good push from the middle of the pocket. Yeah, they, they don't have an elite proven edge rusher right now, um, but there are certainly multiple ways to skin a cat with a pass rush. There's no elite proven edge rusher on the roster right now, but there's a guy that has the potential to become one, and that, of course, is Ja'Kai Polite, the Jets' third-round pick out of the University of Florida. He was somebody that was thought to be a top 15, top 20 talent in the draft, but he dropped because of character concerns based on poor workouts at the Combine and bad interviews with teams. So a lot of people have suggested that he is going to be a major test for the Jets coaching staff and for the Jets locker room in terms of being able to keep a player in check and be able to overcome character concerns. You wrote a piece about this this week at NJ.com, Daryl. If you look at what Adam Gase wants to do, obviously he wants to win games, but one of the one of the things he's talked about very openly this offseason is changing the culture with the Jets and making this team have more of a winning culture or a winning culture period. Um and bringing in the type of guys who are going to help foster that environment. That's one reason. We, we, he was asked about C.J. Mosley and giving him all that money, and one of the things he, he talked about was you know, he, he is a winning culture player, and he thinks Adam Gase does that C.J. Mosley can help kind of transform the, the vibe in the Jets' locker room. So, I mean, they're obviously not bringing the guy in to be a motivator and just a cheerleader. He's, he's got to play and do it well, but... This will be an interesting test, you know, picking Ja'Kai Polite, a player with red flags, who if you read... You know, you just, just going by his scouting reports, and the scouts have studied him very closely, and some of the things that they said um, leading up to the draft, he, he was considered to be uncoachable, you know, lack or lacking the willingness to really be coached, um, to ha- having effort issues, um, being a negative influence in the locker room. There's a lot of negative stuff in his in his uh, scouting report leading up to the draft. So now it's up to to him and to the Jets to sort of dispel those concerns and. I think even by his own admission, he talked about, you know, some of the immature things he did in college. And just, you know, you can forget for a moment him basically saying that teams are bashing him at the combine. It's really, it's more than that in, if you read these scouting reports. And it's more notable things than just that. Um, so he, he really did have a rough pre-draft process. And I think he understands that some of that was by his own making. Um, and he understands that, you know, he needs to be more mature in, in the NFL. And it's up to him largely to, to do that. But it's also going to be an interesting test for this Adam Gase culture change, which to a large degree is led by CJ Mosley and Adam Gase even said it. That's what, that's who was leading it to a large degree. Um, it's not, it's not me or you were saying that, you know, they expect CJ Mosley to be a culture changer. That's what they, they labeled the guy that. So um, yeah, I mean, that's not CJ Mosley's job to, to babysit Ja'Kai Polite. I mean, he has his own things to worry about. He's got the whole locker room to worry about. He's got, you know, actually playing to worry about. So um, I think the Jets' hope is that they have enough veterans in that locker room who can be good examples for Ja'Kai Polite of of what it it means to be a pro. And I think that, uh, you know, we'll see. Is that the case? Will that wind up being the case? I guess we'll see. Ja'Kai Polite's going to have to fight for a starting spot on the Jets' defense. He won't be the only one that is going to potentially be a first-year starter if he wins the job. Another one is going to be Jonathan Harrison, who is almost definitely going to be the starting center for the New York Jets. There were people that thought that the team should bring in Stefan Wisniewski. He had visited. No deal came about. And instead, he ended up re-signing in Philadelphia. So, Daryl, what does this mean for the Jets in terms of where they turn to next, at least for depth, even if they think Harrison is going to be the starter? Yeah, right now, John Toth is the backup. So, yeah, I think if you look at that, you say that's potentially a problem. Um, you know, and Harrison started throughout his career. He's got 32 career starts. He's uh, played guard and center, but was the Jets starter for the last half of last year. So it's not like uh, he's totally inexperienced. I mean, he was he was the starting center in 2014 in, in Indianapolis for 10 games. So, uh, and, and then nine games the next year in 2015. So he, he has starting experience. It's just that he's really not proven as a high level starter, um, in the NFL in terms of being able to do it 
at a Pro Bowl level, which is fine. I mean, you just need a center who's going to be smart and effective and competent. You don't necessarily need the next, um, you know, I'm trying to think of who the great center. Jeff Saturday, I guess, right? <laughs> right. Um, Dermani uh, Dawson. Yeah, you know, exactly. So um, I think the Jets, if they make a move, it would be to look for depth. I don't think they're looking to replace Jonathan Harrison right now. I think if, if they if they sign, unless Jonathan Harrison is a total disaster in this offseason, but if they if he's as good as they hope he can be and they think he can be, um, I look for them to roll into the season with him as their starter. I mean, he's, he turns 28 in August, so um, he has uh, youth on his side to a degree. And um, I think if they do make a move, it would be something this offseason uh, in terms of a camp cut to maybe get a backup center if they, if they look at John Toff, who – I don't. I think most Jets fans don't even know anything about him, um, and I really don't know a ton about him either. But uh, I think it, if they make a move, it would be it would be a depth type situation. Um, so you know, Toth has never even played in a game. So um, it, undrafted guy, you know, has been has been around but hasn't hasn't played in a game. So can you really trust a guy like that if Jonathan Harrison gets hurt? But, you know, the other thing is, you know, there's a reason these guys are backups on the, on the line. So the Jets were actually somewhat fortunate last year where their backup center was, was a guy in Harrison who had had a considerable amount of starting experience going into, uh, going into the season was when Spencer Long got hurt. Um, you know, they had a guy that they can plug in there and actually wound up being better than Spencer, Spencer Long. So, um, I don't, they don't have a situation like that right now. I think they'd like to, but, Ultimately, you can't always have all those luxuries in terms of having a full set of offensive line backups who can just plug and play. I should clarify what I said about Harrison in terms of him being the starter for the first time. I meant it in the sense that this will be the first time he'll be going into the season with the expectation of being the starter. I know that he's obviously started games. He certainly started quite a few for the Jets last season. Is it possible, though, Daryl, that for as little as we know about John Toth, who was undrafted in 2017 and was on the practice squad, maybe Frank Pollock and the Jets coaching staff thinks more of him than we know, and they feel like he can be the long-term backup behind Harrison, and they prefer to just roll with him over going with somebody like Wisniewski, who maybe they feel like can't really give you much, because, yeah, he has experience, but maybe they see Toth as having more upside there since Wisniewski was so bad last year that he actually ended up getting benched. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and Wisniewski's a guy who's 30 years old, so... um he sort of is what he is at this point in his career. And uh, Toth was, is super cheap in terms of his salary cap hit. And if you can get a young guy, certainly at 25 years old, uh, you know, if he, a younger, much younger player, much cheaper player, um, the, you know, the preference is to, is to work with that guy, the younger, cheaper player uh, over a veteran who is sort of declining. So we'll see. They, do, they certainly do see more of them than we do. That's, that's for sure. We're going to find out exactly how they feel about it. I would imagine that if they go into training camp and Toth isn't cutting the mustard, as they say, the Jets will go out and look for somebody, either if it's somebody who's unsigned currently, like John Sullivan, or somebody that maybe shakes loose during training camp, or even something that happens along the lines of the Packers maybe shopping Lindsley because of the fact that they drafted Elton Jenkins in the second round. So we'll see where this goes, but I have a feeling that it's very possible the Jets think more of John Toth than many of us realize. But Daryl, if John Toth and Jonathan Harrison are able to at least provide the Jets with a solid starter and a solid backup at center. That will go a long way towards moving the Jets up in the power rankings across the league. I know you did power rankings, and I know Peter King did his power rankings. He had the Jets at number 26 overall. You had them a little bit higher. Tell me about Peter King and what went into his rankings and then why you have the Jets ranked a little bit higher than he does. It's not like he had the Jets egregiously low. He had them at 26. And um, who was below them? Lions, Giants, Bucks, Bengals, Cardinals, Dolphins. But uh, yeah, I think it's fine. I guess I don't I mean this is a team that's won four games, five games, and five games the last three years. So until they show signs of improvement, and until Sam Darnold proves it over the long long haul, I think skepticism is understandable. Um, look, I mean, power rankings at this time of year, you're kind of spitballing. It's, it's kind of a just for fun thing. And that, you know, take it with a grain of salt because a lot of it's just projecting and we don't really know, but it's certainly fun to debate. I had the jets at 24. Uh, I 
look, I don't know. I, I, I had them at 24, I guess, because I think they're, you know, there's X number of teams who are worse than them. <laughs> I had the Bills, Broncos, Bucks, Bengals, Washington, Giants, Cardinals, and Dolphins behind them. I don't know. Like, it seems reasonable enough. Who do I have in front of them? The Panthers at 23, Raiders at 22, 49ers at 21. Look, the Raiders could be a disaster again this year. There's just so much that you're talking about bringing in new players and how will guys fit. You know, a lot of things depend on things we don't know. Well, how will Le'Veon Bell return from the one-year absence? You know, we don't know. I mean, no one knows. It's it's a lot of guesswork. Um, I think that the Jets certainly have enough questions still, including Darnold. Um, We're putting them higher than, you know, 20 or you know putting them in certainly in the top half of the league at this point is is kind of tough to do um but who knows you know teams surprise people every year that's why it's fun um and uh they're just teams every year that come from the bottom of the power rankings in the spring and uh wind up making the playoffs so maybe that's the jets this year You'll know that the Jets have truly made it as a team, Daryl, if Sam Darnold ends up doing a cameo on one of the most popular <laughs> television shows out there, the way that Aaron Rodgers is with Game of Thrones. You wrote a little bit about that. I thought it would be a nice thing to close with this week here on the podcast. So what's going on with that? Yeah, so he, I guess um, well, I watch Game of Thrones, but I don't like follow the news around it that much. But I guess he had said at the Kentucky Derby that he was going to be on episode five of this season, and uh, this is the final season. And, and well, there's six episodes, so episode five, the one that aired on Sunday, is the was the last uh, second to last episode. So he, he was telling the truth earlier this month at the, the Kentucky Derby, and of course he filmed this a while ago. Um, but he was, um, I guess he was running a, what it was running away from a fireball or something, and got engulfed. And it was one of those where you couldn't really tell if it was him unless you were looking closely. And I think they didn't after the episode, like after the episode aired, they kind of did a little interview with him. Uh, I didn't watch it, but uh, it, I think Noah Syndergaard was on it a couple of years ago. So they've done some fun cameos uh, with celebrities or athletes who are uh, really athletes who are uh, fans of the show. Um, and so fun little moment for him there. I guess, you know, fortunately for him and the Packers, he didn't like tear his ACL while running away from the uh, CGI fireball. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, what a kind of a cool opportunity for him. So I, I don't, I can't imagine that in the finale, they're going to have any random athlete cameos, but I guess you never know. Speaking of game of Thrones, Daryl, that is apparently what's going on at Florham park right now. As you hop off the phone to go and report on this for NJ.com. And we welcome in our other jets insider, the man who is the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com, And of course, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley and Chris, I believe some people owe you a few apologies today because it looks like we've got some breaking news involving Mike McCagnan. Hey, listen, uh, we're, we're going to get into the, a lot of Game of Thrones comparisons to this whole situation. And I, I'm just going to relate it back to how everyone is all upset and, uh, and about how this last season has played out, even though every single thing that has happened has been telegraphed throughout the entire show. It has They have a, a foreshadowed all of this stuff, and they have dropped hints and clues that left where – this is going to happen. We knew this stuff was going to happen, and everyone's bad about it. Well, the writing was on the wall for this. We've been talking about it four weeks since the draft, since the day after the first round. It's been there. Everyone wanted to go ahead, hide their heads in the sand, and pretend that it wasn't real, that there was no problems. They came at me. They called me a liar. They sit there and slam Pauline and Lombardi. that. It was there. There was enough smoke from enough people. And now, just like uh, the Adam Gaze went full Dracaris, let that fire burn, and, and won his power play, got uh, McCagnan and Heimendinger out of there now. But this writing was on the wall. We've been, I've been trying to tell you. Other people were trying to tell you. Everyone around the league has been hearing about this. Rich Samania confirmed it all. And everybody wanted to just run with this that there is no issues, that I'm making it up, we're all making it up because we're trying to stir drama for some reason. Like, the Jets need any extra stirring for the drama. This is insane. But 
Yeah, I mean, I wasn't even, I was in the middle of my self-imposed Twitter break band and not even really paying attention to my phone. I see you calling and I'm like, huh, okay. And then just here we are. So I haven't even had the time to really, you know, check with any of my sources to get any detail and any more information to see exactly how this played out. Uh, but again, the writing was on the wall. We saw this coming. It doesn't make a lot of sense when you think that they decided to keep him after the season. They really should have just fired him then, obviously. But again, the Jets are going to jet and they're going to do the things their own screwed up, twisted, nonsensical way. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. And we will have a podcast for you tomorrow after Chris has an opportunity to talk to his sources and really go through all of this. But I think we have the general idea of what happened here. And Chris, we both laid it out for a while. You had talked about what your sources had heard. But essentially, Adam Gase came in here and probably thought that he could pull McCagnin's strings because McCagnin was a guy that had a rep for basically giving into whatever his coaches wanted from him. We had heard all the stories about how Darren Lee was picked because of the fact that Todd Bowles wanted him. Darius Stewart was a pick that was because of John Morton. You could go on and on down the line. And so when Gase didn't get his way in the early going, he probably started to make a fuss and a slow burn power play. But I have to say, in one respect, this is kind of repulsive to me because here's a guy that actually hired him in McCagnin, and then he goes around and basically stabs him in the back this quickly. It's also repulsive because of the fact that who does this guy think he is just getting here? It's not like he's Bill Parcells or somebody with a super successful track record. He comes in here and he pulls this. On the other hand, you do have to tip your cap to the fact that he was able to pull this off successfully so fast. In no way did I ever believe that he could do it. And I think a lot of what you've observed about Adam Gase probably plays into this because as you said, Chris, from being around him, covering him, you can see how he's able to convince these people that are in positions of major power to let him have his way. Yeah, well, first I want to start off at, uh, what was it, just not even a week ago, right? Uh, it was that, It was last Friday, we had the press conference with him and he Oh, this is bull bleep. This is this really makes me mad. And like, wait, wait, right now it's come from you, right? Schefter reported he's named the interim GM, so I guess it's come from him now. So he just called everything that we were reporting uh, bull bleep last week, and now he actually go ahead and went through on the power play, and Mac is now out, and Gase is sitting on the iron throne right now. I mean, this is absurd. He was very defiant, and we talked about this, you know, obviously reading through the semantics of it, it was quite obvious, but he acted, the nerve to act like you're actually enraged by this, while you're still clearly pushing it, the wheels are in motion, that, that's just kind of absurd, but this one just goes back to my theory where, uh, you know, you, you can be, uh, you can, nobody likes just a regular old jerk. A regular old jerk is just a jerk. But you get to be such a high level, next level, out, 
such an incredible jerk that I can't help but respect it. And this is this is one of those moves. Just have to kind of respect that he really went all out on this. He really got the man who just hired him a couple months ago fired and made this power play, and it worked somehow. And yeah, the thing with Adam Gase is since I, you know, the very limited time I've spent talking to him, which is really, you know, talking to, I haven't had any one-on-one time with him or anything. It's in the uh, press conferences and everything like that. You can understand, I every time I'm listening to him, I'm watching everybody else, how he's interacting with people, how he would come along to reporters on the sidelines and talk. And I sit there and every single time I go, I get why people like him. I get why he's highly thought of around the league. I get this. Like, you can see the uh, the effect he has on people, the way that people kind of, it's a charisma, it's a charm that people are getting kind of swept up in. And, you know, now I'm not normally, one, if I have background on somebody before this happens, I'm not going to get caught, caught up on, in it. But I can sit there and I can see it. And it's really impressive the way that he is able to, command people's attention like that to draw them in and to make them feel like, you know, like everyone's all buddy-buddy. Is that what he did with Mac? And then he turned him around, stabbed him right in the back. But uh, he, you can understand it when you really get a chance to listen to him, when you get a chance to watch him. You can see how it is. Again, I would think that a lot for a lot of people, if you have some background beforehand, it should be harder to get swept up in that. But I'm 38 years old. I've seen a lot of charming, uh, charismatic people go ahead and do people before. So it's really easy to see when you when you watch uh, Gase now. Hey, guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It really is unbelievable that this happened so quickly. And part of the reason I'm so stunned by the fact that he was able to pull this off is that I can't believe Mike McCagnin was crazy enough to hire somebody that he wasn't on the same page with in terms of the biggest moves that he was going to make. Because, Chris, as you were saying all along throughout the free agency period, If the Jets didn't get Le'Veon Bell, it was going to be because Adam Gase got his way. Because according to your sources, Bell was not a move that Adam Gase wanted to make. McCagnin did want to make the move, and he had wanted to make the move for a while, which has always made sense to me. But if that was the case, that there was that strong of a division on that move... Why would Mike McCagnin go in and hire somebody that was so opposed to it? Why would he hire somebody without really testing exactly what it was that the coach was going to want to do so as to make sure that their visions were aligned? Now, that doesn't mean that they have to agree on everything, but they have to be on the same page at least. You have to be in agreement or at least general agreement on the biggest moves that the franchise are going to make going forward, especially right off the bat it would be different if they had worked together for a couple of years and were butting heads a little bit but right off the bat seems kind of crazy to me and Mike McCagnin here in a weird way it feels like the old lady picking up the snake you've heard that old parable where the old lady picks up the snake who's hurt nurses it back to health and the second that it's healthy it bites the old lady and the old lady says why would you do that to me I took care of you when you were sick. I nursed you back to health. Why would you bite me? And he says, lady, you knew I was a snake the second that you picked me up. And that's kind of what you feel like with Gase, regardless of whatever it was that he told Mike McCagnin to get this job about not caring if he had control over the 53-man roster. We knew that that was never going to be the case based on his previous history. And anybody that paid any kind of attention would have known that. How could Mike McCagnin have been this foolish? Uh, back to Game of Thrones, uh, Mike McCagnin is a Stark man. He is Ned Stark. He is Jon Snow. He is naive. 
He is uh, too much about his own principles and not worrying about the fact that not everybody else plays by the same rules. They do not. It's one thing to have all your own principles and to try to do this and that. But when you know the people you're dealing with don't play by these same rules, you are going to lose. You can you can do this all the time in any aspect of life. If somebody else is willing to do things against those rules and you're going to steadfast hold to it, well, you're going to lose. They're going to go ahead and undermine you and they were going to get behind and they're going to come out victorious because they're willing to go places that you are not willing to go. And, you know, obviously, and it's, it's not a perfect parallel, but, but, uh, that's, he was obviously naive about this the entire time. And he couldn't have hired, uh, Gase without knowing how a lot of what transpired in Miami. Like you just talked about with that, the snake thing. Like this, we know what happened in Miami. We know how that unfolded. He, him screaming at Stephen Ross, uh, the owner. I mean, just wait until he's doing that to Christopher Johnson. This is not somebody who is just content to just be an X's and O's coach, and that's it. As much as he keeps continuing to try to portray that to us, how he just every time somebody asked uh, somebody asked him a question uh, during those those OTA practices we had about, you know, ready for these draft questions. And he's, don't ask me anything about the draft. I don't want to ask anything about the draft. I don't really care. He's trying to make it seem like he doesn't care about the draft. I'm just here to coach. And, yeah, well, okay, guy. Uh, you have already – the season hasn't even started, and you just got the guy who hired you fired. Yeah, I think you care about this stuff. But he's going to continue to portray this, and now that, that's – if I'd respect it even more if he just came out and it was just like, yeah, this is what I did. This is why I did it. But he's going to sit here and he's going to continue to try to spin this. I'm sure of it. And talk about, you know, just all shucks. I'm just here to coach football. And uh, it's just an absolute mess. But really, McCagnan, he was naive, obviously. And you can give him a little bit of slack because I don't think as much as we talked about Gase and the problems he had in Miami and how much that would be an obvious concern. Neither, neither of us and nobody thought when he was the day he was hired, like, oh man, Max in trouble. He might get fired in a couple of months. That's not something many of us thought. So maybe McCagnan sitting there is thinking, all right, this is something I'm going to have to watch for long term. But if we can come and bring him in, he will get us back and uh, right the ship and we start winning. Then all of a sudden, he will be protected by the winning. That's that's probably what he's thinking there along those lines. But, man, he, he was naive. He just let that go, and he got stabbed in the back, and now he's, he's done. Hey, guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I'll tell you, Chris, for those that don't know Jets history, This reminds me so much of Joe Walton. When Joe Walton was the offensive coordinator of the Jets, if you would have asked any of the players, they all would have sang his praises. You talk to Wesley Walker, Bruce Harper, guys like that that were around at the time, and they will tell you they would have run through a wall for Joe Walton. But as soon as Joe Walton became the head coach, he had to have control over everything, micromanaged. He was not the same guy, and that's why if you notice... Almost all of the players that have spoken up for Gase have been guys that played for him while he was an offensive coordinator and not while he was a head coach. The only one that I heard speak up positively for head coach Adam Gase was Albert Wilson. We discussed that before. It's going to be something to behold here because now Adam Gase is going to be in complete control. And if things don't go well, it's going to be of his own making now. Although I guess if he's Machiavellian enough, he can blame Mike McCagnin and say something along the lines of, Mac brought this guy in and that's why we're not doing well. So that remains to be seen. But I thought your point, Chris, about the rules of engagement was really interesting because it seems like if you go back to the wire... 
there was that rule called the yes. Sunday truce where yes. all the drug dealers would never ever do anything on Sundays because that was the church day. These people would go with their families to church or with their grandmas or whatever it was. But then Marlowe came along and broke the Sunday truce and had no respect for it. And everybody was thrown off because it was just something that had been done forever and assumed. So they didn't know how to deal with it. Well, that's kind of the same thing that happened here, it seems like. Mike McCagnan was operating under standard rules of engagement, and Adam Gase had zero desire to abide by those rules. Yeah, and listen, you know, this is uh, a thing about, you know, Obviously, I'm, I'm not going full war here. It's just a metaphor here. But Gase is a, attacking McCagnan. He wants his job. He wants him out. And he was willing to do it by any means necessary. And that was obvious. And McCagnan was still comfortable, didn't seem too concerned by it all. Again, I'm thinking he's thinking they can turn it around and start winning, and that'll be his shield. But he was operating under one rules. Adam Gase went with another set of rules, a set of rules that allowed him to do things that nobody else would operate under. And again, when you do that, just that Sunday truce thing, you can go ahead with the Sunday truce and everybody will go with it and everyone will respect you for going for it. But if somebody else that you're beefing with decides that they don't care about the Sunday truce and goes after you, there's a good chance you're going to end up dying. And that's that's what happened here. And uh, McCagnan, metaphorically, as the GM of the Jets, is dead. He has been removed from the Iron Throne. And, I, and just like it's getting fired, I don't see McCagnan getting hired or any uh, GM job anytime soon. He's going to have to go back to some other, you know, smaller front office role. And Adam Gase is going to be sitting here. But the, the thing about it now is, like you said, he will. If things go bad, he will probably try to spin it and put it on Matt Cagnan. But man, there's no wiggle room now. This is all on him. Everything is on him. We, you know, the draft class has been pretty universally uh, praised this year. People really like this draft class, uh, and even you know those later round picks that are typical McCagnan picks that we've had questions on. A lot of people still really like them. And now all of a sudden you're going to get him fired that quick before you even start a game. This is all on you now. You better turn this around right now. You can't be sitting here and expect to get, you know, three years to slowly build this up with the roster the way it is now. He's got to be successful right away, especially after a move like this. This is all the pressures on him now. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Quick programming note before we continue, Chris. You're going to be back on tomorrow, and we'll break this down after you've had a chance to talk to your sources. I reached out to Travis Wingfield, who's our Dolphins guy, of course, the host of Locked On Dolphins and runs LockedOnDolphins.com. He's going to come on, and then we are going to have plenty to talk about in the Mega Mailbag this weekend, Chris. So whatever questions you have about any of this or anything else, go ahead and send them in. I want to get back to the point that you made. It's kind of interesting because we've all been very critical of Mike McCagnan, and I would say that it's been justified. But this offseason, I thought he did a pretty good job. He went out there and he got the two best unrestricted free agents on the market, Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley. Also added another weapon for Sam Darnold and Jamison Crowder. Bolstered the protection a little bit by bringing in Kalecce Osemele at guard. And in the draft, did really well. Got two guys that could make a real difference in the pass rush. Of course, Quinn and Williams at number three overall. And then at number 68, Ja'Kai Polite, who's somebody that very easily could have been a first-round pick if not for some character concerns. I thought this was arguably the best offseason that Mike McCagnan had had since being here. And now he's out. So it's kind of ironic. If the Jets succeed, I wonder if Adam Gase is going to try and take all of the credit. I shouldn't say I wonder. I'm pretty sure he's going to try and take all the credit because that's pretty much how he's wired. I want to bring up something, though, Chris. I'm sure that your sources will tell you about whether or not this had anything to do with it. And I think that the phrasing by Adam Schefter and the fact that Christopher Johnson went to McCagnan and Hemmerdinger and delivered this news himself probably means this didn't happen. But what I do wonder is, 
if they had told Mike McCagnan that he was on basically double secret probation, so to speak, and he said to Christopher Johnson, listen, if I'm going to be on double secret probation, maybe you should just go ahead and let me go. And maybe he slept on it for a few days and then came and decided to follow through on it. Just something I was thinking about because for this to happen right now seems like such a strange thing to do from a PR standpoint. I can't really wrap my head around it. I thought if nothing else, they might just strip him of his power and make him lay low for a while. But I wonder if McCagnin did something to force their hand. Yeah, you know, that's a a fair and safe assumption to make, especially just the timing of all of this is super weird. Again, like the bulk of... uh, McCagnon's work is done right now, uh, for, for this year at least. And what normally in situations like that, or what you're, you were just uh, suggesting could have possibly happened, normally when you get something like that, it you'll get a report of they have mutually agreed to part ways, something along those lines. And we've seen it numerous times where that gets reported and we all know that it wasn't actually mutual but they do that to, uh, you know, let the person getting fired save face a little bit. There, there is none of that here. It's just the words from Schefter is just Jets have fired Mike McCagney and Brian Heimendinger. And it's going to be funny, too, to watch how Jets Twitter reacts to this because uh, just the Heimendinger part because of all the parts about how Heimendinger's all the good moves that, that the Jets have made were all Heimendinger things. So... We'll see about how this ends up played out, but if if that was the case, if if McCagnin was just like, yeah, just do it now. If you're gonna do it, just do it now. Get it over with. I would think that Schefter's report would be framed a little bit differently. It would be more along the mutual agreed to to part ways. Um, but also, McCagnin, like I just said, I don't see him getting any uh, GM jobs anytime soon. So I would expect McCagnin to sit there and hang on and go back apologize to any of you people out there not listening, uh, watching any Game of Thrones, especially you, Scott. But sit there, he's just, I would expect him to be like Queen Cersei was at the end, watching everything burn around her and just sit there and be like, nope, I'm holding on till the very end because he, he, this is the only chance he's going to get right now. So... It, it was a bold move by Gase, but it, it worked. And, yeah, I mean, I'm still just kind of at a loss for words. I've said a bunch of words, but to, to do this now at this point, the only thing that makes sense is that they there's somebody specific that they have in mind that they want to poach right now. And, obviously, Schefter reported uh, Joe Douglas, vice president of player personnel with the Eagles, is close to Gase and, that has been a name that we have all been hearing for a while since these rumors started popping up. Everybody was saying that. Um, and so the only thing that really makes sense is right now they're saying, all right, we want to go get him right now so we can make sure that we have the guy that we want. It's so wild because I've been very critical of Mike McCagnin. You've been very critical of Mike McCagnin. A lot of the fans have been very critical of Mike McCagnin. But during this power struggle, I think I said the words, wow, thank God Mike McCagnin is in charge way more than I ever expected to because based on your reporting, it seems like if Mac wasn't the one making the call, Le'Veon Bell would not be a Jet, which I think would have been a big mistake. So that's plus one for Mac. And the other major move that I suspect, although I have no information on this, that would have gone a different way is I think that Adam Gase really wanted to trade out of that number three pick and pick up picks to use on the offense. And Mike McCagnin held firm because he felt like the value wasn't there for what he was being offered. And Quinton Williams was too good to pass up. Now, again, this is just me guessing, but based on how this seemed to really escalate after the draft and how the Jets seemed to try to placate Gase by attempting to trade into the second round to pick Mecole Hardman, it really feels like that could have been something that Mack and Gase were butting heads on in a major way as well. So this is really bizarre. We'll see if Douglas ends up coming in here. For now, Gase is in complete control, which is what he had in Miami, essentially, because Mike 
Tannenbaum was not the most powerful man in that building. It was Adam Gase. And Travis Wingfield will come on to talk all about this. We're going to discuss everything that went down with Adam Gase. I know that we did a podcast before Gase got hired, but now we can go into way more detail about the way that Gase wants to build the roster, the way that he maneuvers politically. This is really a shocking turn of events. I'm really surprised that this ended up happening right now. And I got to be honest, Chris, I don't want to be that guy, but for everybody that kept saying that you were a liar, Rich Semini was a liar, this is all some sort of patriot-driven plot by Mike Lombardi, everybody owes you guys, and most importantly, Mike Lombardi, an apology because they said some really nasty things about him because they didn't want to hear what everybody else was hearing, but Lombardi was the first one to actually talk about publicly. They didn't want to know, so they put their hands over their ears and they said, la, 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 and I get it. It's an exciting time. We've got Quinn and Williams coming in here. Le'Veon Bell's coming in here. Sam Darnold's going into his second year. CJ Mosley's here. The roster has really improved, and everybody's looking forward to the season, and nobody wanted some sort of mess like this to happen. Nobody wanted this to be true. But just because we didn't want it to be true doesn't mean that it wasn't. And now we're seeing that it was. So for everybody that was saying that this was all a bunch of smoke and no fire, that this was all fake news by the people that hate the Jets, which, by the way, I have to point this out again, and I don't know why I have to do this. Chris, you, Connor Hughes, Rich Samini, Manish, Daryl, Matt Stipulkowski, Andy Vasquez, all of you guys... Your job is not to cheerlead the Jets. It's not to denigrate them either, but it's to report on the team and tell people what's going on. You guys are supposed to be information brokers, and if that information ends up being negative, so be it. And in this case, that's exactly what happened. But I hope that this will serve as a lesson to some people that just because you don't want to hear something doesn't mean it isn't true. And when a whole bunch of people that have legitimate sources are saying that they're hearing things and that they're hearing things from people they trust, this is something that you should really pay attention to, even if it's something that you don't want to know about and you would prefer to stick your fingers in your ears. Yeah, and instead of fighting it and arguing about it and developing these crazy conspiracy theories that Lombardi's just lashing out because his son got fired or because he's doing Belichick's bidding, like Belichick gives a damn what the Jets are doing one way or another. They don't care. They hire Adam Gase, let Gase, you think he cares? No, of course not. And listen, I don't care what people think about me and my reporting and whatever. But when you sit there and then you call us liars and you sit here and you say Rich Cermini, who's been covering this team for 30 years, is is not credible. I can un- I understand some fans' frustrations with Cermini. He about he has some timing issues where this where the snark comes. Every one of us reporters and every person on Twitter is snarky at times. Samini had some bad timing there. That, that's understandable. I think he would would admit to that. But he's a really good reporter who has proven that over thirty years. Uh, you can have uh, you take issues with his snark at times. That's fine. But to call him not credible is crazy. And let's, again, we're sitting here. I don't care what happens with the Jets one way or another. I would like them to be a really good team so I can watch a really good team. I want to watch entertaining football. That would make my job more fun. But I don't care one way or another. I'm not going to sit here and reach for stuff to tell you just to create chaos. What does that do with that? All that does is create chaos for me to deal with in the moment. I, I talked to you about this. I was just like, I don't like talking about this stuff because then I have to sit here and defend stuff that I know to be true, but nothing that I say will convince people who don't know me that it's true. This is not some, this is not the part of uh, being a sports writer that I have interest in. But if I'm going to do it, I'm going to look into this stuff and I'm going to pass along the information that I hear. I'm not going to couch it. I'm not going to sit there and just make it more palatable to Jets fans. I'm going to tell you what what I'm hearing. It's that simple. And there's a, you know, there's a lot, obviously, that was going on. And it's just a giant mess. And that's that's what happens. But again. Adam Gase, this is this is Adam Gase. We talked about it 
before they hired him. We talked about it when they hired him. This is what happened in Miami. So to, for people to be sitting here and like, uh, oh, there's no way that this would happen, and you're lying, you're making stuff up. Uh, all right, you can tell tell me I'm wrong. You tell everybody else we're wrong. But just chill with the lion stuff. I I get nothing out of that. I don't care enough to, even if that was the case. I'm just trying to give you guys the information I heard, which is my job. But you know, this this is how fans, not Jets fans specifically, just fans anywhere work. If they don't like it, they don't want to hear it. They will sit there and ignore it, and they will call you whatever name in the world that they feel like calling you because they just want nothing but positive stuff about the Jets. And my journalism teacher would, would be very proud of me with the way I cover the Jets because she always said the way to know how you wrote a good article or you're doing something right is when you get criticism from both sides. I have been called a Jets homer plenty of times since I've been covering this team, and I have been called a Jets hater plenty of times since I've been covering this team. I get it from both sides. I don't know how I can particularly – uh, how I can simultaneously be a Jets homer and a Jets hater at the same time. But that, as my journalism teacher professor would say, is a sign of me playing it right down the middle and giving you guys the information that I receive myself. And that doesn't mean that I'm always going to be right. It turns out that, you know, the information I first gave was right. I got, got it wrong where everybody was assuring me that it, it wasn't going to happen anytime soon. But it doesn't mean that it means that if I'm hearing something from enough people that it is going to, there's something to it because I am also a bit old school with my stuff. I, uh, that day after the first round of the draft, I looked into it. I got it on uh, confirmed from one source and I texted you. I told you, I got one person to say this, but I'm not going to, I'm going to wait until I get it from multiple sources before I say anything publicly. That's an old school journalism thing. Not everybody still abides by that, but I do. I know he does. He's old school that way. And if we're telling you something, we're hearing it from enough people. And I've talked about this numerous times too, with the way that agents use uh, reporters, how they get information out there. They, they purposely get information out there that they want wrong. I'm very careful about that stuff too. So if I have a feeling that that I don't want to be used by an agent, I'm not playing that game. So if I have a feeling that might be what it is, I'm not really going to run with it. Or like we did during free agency, I might say, well, I've heard this from this, but I have a feeling that could just be agent speak agent maneuvering. So it's just you got to be careful about who you're listening to from the information and the way that the information is phrased. And if you pay attention to it enough, if you study the stuff enough, you can tell who's telling the truth, who is really giving you that information. And it, this was all obvious from the very beginning because, again, this is this is eight seasons of Game of Thrones telling you about the Mad King, and now you're mad because the uh, or telling you about the mad uh, the Mad Queen, and now you're mad because the Queen it, it went mad and burned everybody down. A hundred percent, Chris. And by the way, I just got a text from somebody I know who's fairly plugged into league circles. What he said is along the lines of what we've been saying all along. He said. Gase wanted Tevin Coleman, Mac wanted Le'Veon Bell, there was a huge fight over that, and from there, there was no going back. Apparently at that point, Gase decided in his mind that this was not a guy that he felt like he could work with, and so from there, we got the Machiavellian plotting, and I'm sure your sources will have much more on this, and we'll talk about that tomorrow, but that's the initial thing that I'm hearing from somebody who's plugged into league sources, so take that for what it's worth. It kind of goes along with what you and I have been hearing all along, and just to put a nice little bow on this, this doesn't have to be negative as much as I don't like the way that this went down and I'm pretty disgusted at the fact that Gase came in and thinks he can pull this power play and actually was able to do it this quickly. Maybe this turns out for the best if they bring Douglas in here. He and Gase are able to revamp the roster entirely even beyond what they did this offseason and maybe Gase learned a thing or two about how to be a better coach. And this turns around. It's possible. So 
McCagnan's a guy that many of us criticized and thought didn't deserve to be here. So now that he's gone, we can't really act like we're sad because we thought he should have been fired at the end of the season. Maybe Gase and Douglas, if Douglas comes in, will do a good job together. That's what we got to hope at this point. But I will say, based on his history and based on the fact that he came in and did this this quickly, I'm not super optimistic about it. But that doesn't mean that this can't work out for the best because... Adam Gase, as we know, is a good X's and O's guy, so if he's willing to lean on Douglas in other capacities, and we know that Douglas has a track record in Philly doing good work with Howie Roseman, if he's willing to cede some of that to him and let him be his guy, maybe this turns out for the best, but we're going to have to wait and see now. I will say, Chris, all that keeps dancing through my head right now is one of the catchphrases of the late, great Roddy Roddy Piper. Just when they think they have all the answers, I change the questions. Yeah, well, listen, let's add this to the the idea that this could stem from the Le'Veon Bell signing, which, again, I've talked about before the signing, uh, like you just uh, repeated and said, we talked about this before. But if that's what this stems from, really, is uh, McCagnan gets fired for maybe one of his best moves as a GM, uh, definitely his best free agent move as a GM, it would have been such a bad decision to pass up on Le'Veon Bell with this current roster construction, all the money they had to settle for Tevin Campbell. But because McCagnan did that, that is going to be the thing that gets him out of here. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 that's crazy to think about because that's one of his best free agent moves, if not his best free agent move. Uh, it's absolutely nuts. But again, I I know that Adam Gase wasn't a big fan of uh, signing Le'Veon Bell, so I know that part to be true. Uh, if, if that's really the catalyst of all this, I haven't confirmed completely yet. Uh, I will do that as soon as we hang up the phone here. I will start looking into all that. But it's it's just nuts because still I will defend. As much I've been saying, McCagnan should have been let go last offseason. Him and Bowles should have been fired two offseasons ago. So I'm not a Mac defender here, but I will die on this hill protecting McCagnan's decision to sign Le'Veon Bell and definitely to sign Le'Veon Bell over Tevin Campbell. I will absolutely die on this hill with McCagnan, and I will protect him from that. I'm, it's not a bad thing that McCagnan's gone. Again, but that that being the catalyst is just baffling and mind blowing. And that, if I'm a fan, that wouldn't leave me with a great feeling in my mouth. Although, although I do understand because it's it's the personality of Le'Veon Bell that Gase has wanted no parts of. It's not that Gase didn't want the talented player. If you know, if Le'Veon Bell had Frank Gore's personality, then he would have been all good with it. It's the personality, but. Now, this also is cause for concern. How is this going to go going forward? What does Le'Veon Bell think right now? How is he going to react to this? He's signed a long-term deal, and the GM who signed him is now fired in part because he signed him because the coach doesn't want him. And this is going to be a giant mess. How do these rookies feel now? Quinnen Williams, Jukai Polite, how do they feel coming in? The they haven't even played a game yet, and the GM that drafted them just got fired. Like, this is a big, giant mess in a way that only the Jets can do. By the way, this just coming in from Manish Mehta, he says, One disagreement between Adam Gase and Mike McCagnin slash Christopher Johnson. Gase absolutely did not want to sign Le'Veon Bell per sources, which is what I just said and what you had said all along. In fact, he made it clear that he didn't want to spend a lot of money on any running back. Again, this is a guy that apparently was concerned with the salary cap when he shouldn't have been because that had nothing to do with his job responsibilities. If you're the head coach, you should be concerned about the general manager giving you talented players that fit what you want to do. If you don't like Le'Veon Bell's personality, fine, but there's zero question that Le'Veon Bell fits what Adam Gase wants to do. Hell, let's be honest, he fits what anyone likes to do. So we'll see how this works out, but it is indeed ironic, Chris, like you said, that Mike McCagnin will end up getting shown the door, not because of the many bad moves that he made, but because of arguably the best move that he's made as general manager of this team. 
I'm not sad to see him go in one sense, but I'm definitely worried for the Jets' future in another because if Gase was able to manipulate Christopher Johnson this easily, then this definitely has to concern you about where this could go down the line. And you have to look at what happened in Miami as a blueprint for what could happen here with the Jets. I know a lot of people will say that it's different because they have Sam Darnold, and that is true. But still, things got real ugly in a hurry in Miami, and you just have to hope that it doesn't happen that way here with the New York Jets. Chris, thanks so much for jumping on and doing this breaking news. Oh my goodness, I'm sure you weren't expecting to talk about this the same way that you weren't expecting to talk about this story in the first place a couple of weeks ago when I texted you as you were walking out of Avengers, and then that whole firestorm started. But now this story is in play, and we will have much more to talk about tomorrow. I'm sure you We'll also have plenty up on the website in a little bit as well after you talk to your sources. In the meantime, for anybody that wants to interact with you on Twitter, because I'm sure you'll be back now to talk about this story. Yes. And, of course, to read your very big deal work, why don't you go ahead and let them know? Yeah, I was not ready for any of this. I was expecting a nice, relaxing, quiet day just to, just to chill, but that's not how it works. So uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. And yeah, I have taken a, a nice long Twitter break that I was enjoying. I will be back on it today. I will have to deal with it all today and I'm going to laugh a lot. So <laughs> that that's how I will get through it. Uh, and then also JetsInsider.com. Uh, Alan's working on something right now for a quick breaking story on it. And then, like I said, I'm going to dig in, check with my sources and probably throw something up later after I hear from a bunch of people. And we'll be back with you tomorrow to discuss this in more detail. And I don't expect this story to get any less crazy at all. It's going to be just as much of a mess. <laughs> after Normally, you get some time with it and you can sort through it. Not as much. This is going to be just as big of a mess. And yeah, you just you got to have to uh, get a sense of humor about it and roll with it because it's happening. Plenty of stuff up at turnonthejets.com later today as well. Joe Caparoso working feverishly to get some information up there and some initial reactions. So this is going to get even more interesting, I suspect, like Chris said. In the meantime, go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter. Go to jetsinsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. And you'll know where to go tomorrow when we have even more on this story. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.